This is the Story Power Marketing Show with Tom Ruich. Make yourself comfortable and fasten your seatbelt. Tom and his guests are about to share powerful stories, trade business building insights, and have a few laughs. Tom created this podcast to help you captivate prospects and inspire them to act so you can get more clients quickly and easily. That's what powerful storytelling is all about. That's what this podcast is all about. So let's get this party started. Here's your host, Tom Ruich. Hello and welcome to the Story Power Marketing Show. My name is Tom Ruich and today's episode is called The Business Building Power of Intentional Encouragement. As always, I'll kick off today's episode with a brief story before introducing today's guest. A few years back, I met with a prospect about a massive project. The meeting went well. I remember thinking as the meeting moved along, I'm crushing it. Before I left, they committed to hire me. I returned to the office, shared the news with my team, and slapped high fives all around. Way to go, Tom, one of my colleagues said. Another one bites the dust. Yep, I crushed it. Another one bites the dust. I was one of those salespeople who, quote, killed it. I slayed them. Three months later, the client and I mutually agreed to terminate the contract. It was not a good fit. I might have seen it coming if I had dug deeper when selling, if I had listened more carefully to what the prospect really needed, if I had focused on their needs instead of my hunger to sell. Why do we describe sales as a conquest? Why do we use language that portrays the prospect as prey? Why do we describe sales as an act of violence and salespeople as killers? Words matter. They frame our perspective and approach. As the years pass, my view of sales evolved. To be a successful salesperson, you have to be a helper, not a hunter. You have to be a listener, not a teller. You have to exercise empathy, not leverage. You have to be a partner, not a pursuer. You have to collaborate, not convince. You have to be a a kindred spirit not a killer. And you have to lift them up, not take them down. If you approach sales and marketing this way, you'll sell more, not less. And your relationships with clients will be long-lasting, powerful, and mutually beneficial. My guest today, Brian Sexton, is all about relationship building and all about what he calls intentional encouragement. Brian is a seasoned specialist in sales, sales management, territory building, and customer engagement. He has more than 27 years experience across four different industries. In his career, Brian has won numerous sales awards and been nominated for many more for overall territory growth, growth profit achievement, largest customer gained, and has set sales records in his previous companies that are still unmatched. Brian has built and managed sales territories from 2 million to 25 million in annual revenue and is recognized as a people first leader. In addition, Brian is the host of the 
Intentional Encourager podcast. I'll repeat that. The Intentional Encourager podcast, releasing multiple episodes weekly. And he is the author of the book, People Buy From People, and The Intentional Encourager, Become the One Thing That Challenges Everything which is to be released in late 2022. Brian is a husband, father, minister, singer, musician, guest host, and broadcaster for iHeartMedia in Hunt Huntington, West Virginia. He and his family reside in Barbersville, West Virginia. Brian Sexton, welcome to the Story Power Marketing Show. Tom Ruich, what an honor it is to be here today. I, th I so appreciate the invitation, my friend, and, and thank you for that nice flowery introduction. And I'm thinking to myself, man, 27 years, that's a lot. Uh, uh, you know, I, I started in sales in 1995. You know what we didn't have in 1995? We didn't have cell phones that fit in our hands. Mm -hmm. we, we didn't have Zoom. We didn't have podcast. We didn't have when, – when I was in my first job, I was 22 years old. I got hired in July of 1995, 22 years old, about to turn 23. My boss gave me an American Express card to travel with mm -hmm. and a calling card for the road to where I could call customers and things like that, and off I went. And uh, 27 years later, boy, how selling has changed, how – how marketing has changed, how everything we do in business has changed. But I'll tell you this, Tom, I, I love the story you told. I would add this. People buy connection. I wrote this in my book. People buy connection before they ever make a transaction. Right. We, we are all creatures of, of connection because when we go to buy something, and, and, and forgive me for kind of starting here, but you, you piqued my interest, a lot of times in sales, we forget how to buy. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is we sell according to a script or we sell according to what we think the, the prospect needs and what we have. And we forget how people buy. They buy connectively first. Yeah. And we're the same way. If we go to a retail store and we see a pair of shoes or something like that, we go, oh, man, those are nice. Now, there's where the connection starts. And so then we, we make the, the, the process of, Okay, what's the price of these? Do they have my size? You know, do I have extra money? Is this something that I need, want, or can't live without? And we start connecting those dots until we go ahead and make that that transaction. But nothing happens until we connect. Right. Because if, if I don't like something, why am I going to buy it? If I don't like the store that I'm going into, why am I going to buy from there? You know, what would, what would even cause me to go into that store if I said everything I bought from there is crap? Yeah. yeah. And so we, we, you know, that, that's what I, I try to get people to understand. And that's what the book is about is the power of connection. Yeah. Connect first. And then you can, then you can really go about selling. So forgive me for kind of starting there. You, you just, you triggered my tiny mind and that's just, you know, it just came forth. So no, that's the, that's a, that's a great place to start because here at story power marketing, we talk about it in, in much the same way that the connections you build, the rapport you build, the relationships that you build between you and the prospect, the prospective buyer, those are the critical things that, that if they don't trust you, 
and know you and like you if they don't see that you understand them and if you have an expressed empathy for whatever it is they are going through whatever it is they need then they're so much less likely to choose you they're so much less likely to want to do business with you so it is about building connection it's about relationship and i love so much how how you talk about it, how you talk about intentional encouragement. So explain for the audience what you mean by that and how that connects to what we've been discussing so far. You know, Tom, people would tell me, they would say, you need to do a podcast. You need to do something because I, for the last 20 years, part-time, I've done radio. As you mentioned, I've done live radio. I have a really good friend of mine named Tom Roten who, who has had a morning show in the same time slot, same station for the last 21 years. And in 2002, so he started in 01, in 2000, so I, I began listening, called into his program, and I guess I made enough rational, co- coherent points that he said, this guy might, might be a decent fill-in, or he was just kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel and going, well, this guy's dumb enough to come in on a Thanksgiving day and fill in for me, and I did. Thanksgiving day 2002, I went in and, and filled in, but... But, Tom, I had wanted to be in broadcasting in college. I went to Marshall University in Huntington, West Virginia, as a top 10 journalism school, and I wanted to be the voice of somebody when I was younger. And so through moving into print journalism and things like that, I decided journalism wasn't for me, and I went into marketing. I switched majors. My, my, my dad was a sales rep. I had an uncle that were salespeople. So it was just a natural fit for me to gravitate to sales. So fast forward. In 2002, got the opportunity to guest host for Tom and just have done that over the years. I've done pregame shows. I've done sports talk radio. I've done political talk radio, you know, just a multitude of different formats. And somebody, you know, people kept saying, you need to do your own podcast. And I looked around, Tom. I looked around as, as good salespeople should do, kind of survey the marketplace, see where you where you can fit. And I looked around on LinkedIn where I hang out a lot, and I saw a lot of expertise being shared, but I saw very little encouragement. I said, I can Mm. fix that. Mm. Because here's the thing. One of my heroes is a guy named Zig Ziglar. His son, Tom, has become a friend of mine. Tom's been on the Intentional Encourager podcast a couple of times. And Zig Ziglar said this. He said, encouragement is the fuel that powers hope. Mm Mm-hmm. No one has ever done anything productively from a discouraged mind. Right. No one has ever done anything productively from a discouraged heart or spirit. It's the inverse. So what happens is when you're discouraged, all these negative things begin to begin to come into your mind and you're not your optimal self. And so I thought I can fix that. And so the name intentional, I I I I strive to be very intentional in in word, in deed, in thought. I don't post anything unless I can contribute something to a conversation. I'm intentional that way. Mm-hmm. And so, again, the, the the Intentional Encourager podcast was born. The book is going to spring from that, you know, showing people how they can be intentional encouragers. But, Tom, as we record this, there's so much happening in our world today, and I posted about that this morning. We need intentional encouragement now more than ever, and there's no one on the planet. There's not a single person on the planet that does not need intentional encouragement. You, you can't find them. I don't care who they are. It could be a world leader. It could be a coach of a sports team. It could be the CEO of a company. 
There's no person breathing on the planet today of 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 a an of an age, and I would even say teenagers and children as well too. If you if you can process thought, you need intentional encouragement, mm-hmm. and you need it every day. Yep, yep. And what what I love about this, and where it ties back to the story I told, is that so much of sales is about so much of the wrong approach to sales is about cajoling and pushing. It's about the product and the service first, and then trying to convince, push, slay the prospect into buying the product and service. And what you're talking about is empathy, caring, encouragement. And where I believe it translates into sales is and marketing is when you make those human connections with the people you want to do business with and you understand where they're coming from and you understand what they need the act of presenting a solution to them the act of selling to them is an act of of encouragement, an act of guiding, an act of helping, an act of leading, not an act of cajoling, taking them down, um, tricking, convincing, whatever yeah. uh, some salespeople want to do. So uh, tell me, am I on the right track and framing it that way? And also tell us how this, this idea of intentional encouragement evolved and applies to the sales work that you've been doing? So a couple of things. Um, Everything a salesperson should do should be intentional. Mm -hmm. Everything. You should be intentional in how you approach the prospect. You should be intentional in what you have that specifically fits for them. Mm -hmm. Should never be about your presentation. It should be about how does it fit them? Here, let me share a story with you. So this was years ago back in the food business. So from 1997 to 2002, I, I managed a territory, about a $2.7 million territory in southeastern Ohio and, and western West Virginia. I had some rural counties along the Ohio River. And I took a mature territory, and in the last year I was there with the company, I grew it to 2.7 and, and was salesman of the year. Two weeks later, I walked into the president's office and turned in my notice. Mm-hmm. Because at the time, we were 100% commission, and I had an opportunity to go back to the employer that I was that I, I talked about going with in 1995. He called me, and he said, I need somebody in the area. We're, we're trying to make a comeback in the area. And I said, I'm available. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he picked the phone back up, we had a conversation. He said, I had no idea. But, I, but it was more stable financially for my family and I, the, the commission part of it, we were, we were the lowest paid gross. We were paid on gross profit and we were the lowest paid division in the whole company. Mm. All the houses nationwide, we were the lowest paid. And I said, I've got a, I've got a, a year old baby. I, I, I've I, you know, I, I got to look out for me and my family. And what happened was I spent a couple years working for a couple of food brokers, and then got the opportunity to go to the largest food distributor in the United States in a, in a division there. And a friend of mine was the district manager, 
And so I went back to my old territory. Had a conversation with somebody that I I, I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna approach these guys. I sold to them once. I'm gonna sell, I'm gonna see, I'm gonna approach them. They told me something I'll never forget. He said, Brian, we've been waiting on you to come back. We've been waiting two and a half years for you to come back. You tell us what you need us to do. We're we're on board. Hmm. We're coming back with you. And I would pick up customers that I had back. One customer. I had a, I had, if you're, if you're biblically, if you, if you're, I'm a Christian. So I look at things from a biblical perspective. There's a story in the book of Acts about Paul witnessing to King Agrippa. And there's a scripture there. If you know the scripture, he says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. I had a customer that had been with the company that I was with. They had been a customer for close to 50 years and I pursued them hard. Mm-hmm. I had pricing. I had, I really, really pursued them. And the owner of the business looked at me one day and he said, you made it really hard for me. <laughs> he said, but I'm, I'm staying. He said, but you know, because loyalty was his dominant buying motive and had a great relationship with them. And I did everything that I could to tailor that to, to make them feel important because I didn't feel like they were getting treated as importantly as they needed to. They weren't getting the encouragement from their supplier that they needed. I said all that to say this, that as I look back on my selling career, the one thing that I hope I did well, that I was, that, that I was always consistent with the way that I called on customers. Mm-hmm. And an encouragement is about consistency. Mm-hmm. If you look at intentional, the word intentional, Tom, means deliberate, done on purpose. Mm-hmm. You can't just accidentally encourage somebody. You can't accidentally sell a customer. You can't accidentally do anything. You have to be deliberate. You have to be on purpose. And so as I look back on my career in sales and customer engagement, the one thing that I've tried to do is is have consistent engagements every time with customers, no matter if we had to have a hard conversation about finances and there were times I had to be the collector a lot of times, Tom. Mm-hmm. If they were behind on their bill, I had to go in and collect it. Those are di- those are not easy conversations to have. But encouragement should be consistent. And if we deliver a consistent interaction, expectation with our customers, whether virtually, in person, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. then that's going to build something within them. See, people want consistency. People crave. Forgive me for kind of going off on a tangent here. No, it's good. People yeah. crave consistency. And I don't understand why we we, we, we don't figure that out a lot of times. Mm-hmm. I went to Outback Steakhouse the other day here in Barbersville. My wife and I did. And our meal was subpar. i got to be honest. If somebody's listening from Outback, Hit me up at, at intentional encourager podcast at gmail.com because it was not consistent. And I told her, I said, Outback used to be awesome. They were the number one in the 90s. They were the number one gross profit making restaurant mm-hmm. in the United States all the way into the 2000s. Outback was a behemoth, but they got inconsistent. Yeah. And when you don't deliver consistency to customers, customers are going to find it somewhere else. Yep. Why do you think Amazon is why do you think Amazon's rocking right now? Why do you think Apple has a trillion dollar cap, market cap? Yep. Is because every time the iPhone comes out, 
their customers know exactly what they're getting. Mm-hmm. And so we, we got to be consistent. And that's where encouragement can really take hold in your customers. That's where intentionality can take hold in your customers. But nothing happens without consistency. And what does that look like when you're in the the sales process? What is what is intentional encouragement really uh, really look like? Uh, give me some examples of how you've applied intentional encouragement in work that you've done recently. Well, let's go here for a second. Yeah. If 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 I am if I am looking at everything that surrounds a customer right now. Okay. So let's let's just look from a B2B standpoint at, at what we're seeing right now. Just about every B2B is labor challenged. Mm-hmm. They're cost challenged. They're they're infrastructure challenged. They're supply chain challenged. They are uh and I say cost, that's labor cost. That's utility cost. Those are fixed. Those are fixed cost. Excuse me. Those are fixed and variable cost. Even their fixed costs are going up because again, it's costing them more on a day to day basis to open the doors. That's right. So if we look at that from that standpoint, there's challenges all around them. Mm-hmm. It would be very easy for those customers to go, man, is it really worth it today to mm-hmm. open the door? You know, good grief. I could I could probably go get a job doing something and making pretty good money. I wouldn't have to worry about people not showing up for work. I wouldn't have to worry about my suppliers raising prices. I wouldn't have to worry about fuel costs. I wouldn't have to worry about this or that. And there's so many entrepreneurs, Tom, that are feeling that right now. Mm-hmm. So as a salesperson, you have to understand to some degree what your customer is challenged with at the moment. Mm-hmm. And you have to take your sales hat off and put your people hat on. Yep. And talk with them about their challenges. Don't have a solution in mind. Don't say, oh yeah, I got we got this or we got that. No. Just listen and say, you know what? Doggone it, man. When I went to the gas pump the other day, I felt that same challenge you did. Now we're connecting on yep. things that are outside of business. Yep. Now. Empathy. Yep. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. Yep. Tom, now what we're doing is we're, we're, pe- we're, we're, two, we're two people talking about what's happening in life. You see, I shared this with a group of people not long ago. What you have to remember is. Everybody that you call on, they may have woke up to a bad phone call. Mm-hmm. I remember December 6, 2012, five minutes after I got up to start my day, my sister calling me and telling me that my dad had passed away overnight. You never know what people wake up to in the morning. You never know what people on their way to work face. Maybe they were in a a minor traffic accident. Maybe they got held up on the way to work. Maybe they got a phone call on the way to work. You never know what, what you're going to walk into. I remember this. 
Now, guy, I got to go here for a second. I said this in the book. I walked into a customer one day, and the air was heavy. Mm. And I walked in, and I said, "It's," and, and and I noticed tears in my customer's eyes. And I said, "Is everything okay, Marsha?" And she said, Brian, we lost my brother last night. My brother choked mm. to death last night. He was by himself in an apartment in Arizona. I've walked into those situations, Tom, where the world has hit the customer right upside the head. Mm-hmm. And all you can do is just put your arm around them and just be there. The sales call is over at that point, right? The sales call is over. That's the things that people remember. They remember how you acted and reacted in their time of crisis, how you acted and reacted in those moments where life just, and we forget that sometimes, Tom, as salespeople, we forget that these people we're calling on are people mm-hmm. with lives and challenges and dreams and visions and opportunities. And if we're not encouraging those things in good times and bad, we fail. We fail. Yep. Amen. Amen, Brian. And you know what you're what you're talking about here is listening, not telling. You're talking about empathy. You're talking about meeting people where they are. And the best marketing, we talk about it all the time here at Story Power. The best marketing begins with that listening, empathy, meeting prospects where they are. Interesting thing I want to discuss with you when you when you start talking about all the problems you were describing, all the challenges people have with supply chains, with cost, inflation, yeah. so on and so forth. Sometimes when I talk to people about meeting, the prospect where they are, acknowledging the challenges, talking about the challenges, listening to them, their response is, oh, I don't want to go there. That's that's fear-based marketing. Mm. So talk to me about the difference between fear-based marketing, implication, unethical, yeah. nasty, whatever, and what what we're really talking about here, because I think it's a common objection when when we start talking about the challenges that the marketplace faces. Some people get really uncomfortable with that, and I think they have to get over that. So help help them get over it. Well, here's the thing, Tom. Yep. The, the, what you're really describing is a salesperson that that is avoiding the truth. And, and and what what I would say to that salesperson is, you don't want to sell against me because I will always tell my customer the truth. Right. Whether it's detrimental to me, because here's the thing, Tom, a lot of people don't want to hear the truth a lot of times. Mm-hmm. You, you and I have called on customers where we have we where we have delivered something and they didn't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. And 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 I've been in situations where the the customer punished me for it. Okay. I, I am I am perfectly fine with that because nine times out of ten, what they bought from someone that made them feel good in the moment didn't turn out to be what they thought they were going to get, and they came back to me because I told them the truth. That's the other part of consistency is you should never have trouble with the truth. Mm-hmm. And and the problem that we run into sometimes when you're talking about fear based is well let let's let's talk about all the good things. 
Tom, if you're if 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 you went to the doctor, or if I went to the doctor, and 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 this happened to me, Tom, in 2008, I'll never forget it. June 26, 2008, my doctor looked at me and he said, "If you don't do something about your health, you're going to die of a heart attack." I was 360 pounds, and several months later, I had I had weight loss surgery, and it and it and it changed my health. But if my doctor kept saying to me, ah, oh, Brian, we'll manage this with blood pressure medication. Oh, you'll be okay. Don't worry about it. Go have another cheeseburger. It's all good. You just go, go, man, go, go have a, a whole pizza today. You're, you're good, man. If my doctor had told me that, I probably wouldn't be talking to you right now. And so my, my question back to, to that salesperson that says, well, we can't lead with fear. What pro- do you have trouble with the truth? That's the question I would ask them. Because if you have trouble with the truth, then then at some point your relationship with that customer is going to blow up. Right. Because they're not going to trust you. And so I would always say, listen, I can't do anything about inflation. I can't do anything about rising costs. It's out of my control. But here's what I can control. Right. What I can control is let's work on some ways to help you get more customers in the door. Mm-hmm. Let's work on some ways to incentivize your team to perform at better levels. Hey, let's work on a program where we focus on intentional encouragement inside of your business mm-hmm. and your team is so fired up and they, they, they become encouragers. See, we don't talk about intentional encouragement. You know how much intentional encouragement costs you to create a culture in your business? Zero. Right. And by the way, Brian. Zero dollars. Yeah. What what you're doing there is you're meeting the prospect where they are, saying, hey, I feel you. I know know what you're going through worrying about inflation, worrying about supply chain issues. I understand your pain. I'm here to hear you on that. And then you are encouraging them. You are being intentional and saying, but here are the things that we can control and that we can do about it. So yeah. the metaphor we use at Story Power is that it, it, it's a bridge. You're, you're meeting them on the side of the bridge where they currently reside, mm-hmm. worried about all these things, facing these problems. You connect with them and empathize with them and build that relationship with them. And then you suggest that, well, but here's some things that we can do to help you feel better, to help your business succeed, to help you achieve whatever the goals may be. And Tom, you know what's wrong with sales? Forgive me for jumping in here. You know what's wrong with sales? We have so many salespeople and and we're we're training and teaching salespeople. And we say, we have to pull the customer in. You have to pull the customer to you. You realize that when you pull somebody to you, that you have to physically grab them <laughs> by the by their shirt, mm-hmm. and you have to bring them to you. It, it, you're making the effort. And a lot of times, if you have a customer that doesn't want to do anything, I, I remember when my son was a little, my, my soon-to-be 22-year-old, when he was a little boy, he didn't want to do something. He'd just fall on the floor and go limp, and I'd have to drag him, you know, and and mm-hmm. to bring him along. That's what happens to a customer a lot of times. But now that my son's older, when I want to talk to him, I put my arm around him and I stand next to him. Mm-hmm. 
Because here's the thing. When I can see what they see, now I'm aligned with what's going on. Yep. And if we're looking at the same thing, I can't see something that they see because my back's to the situation that they see when I'm trying to pull them in. Yeah. But when I'm standing right next to them and my arms around them, when you put your arm around someone, that indicates caring. We've been talking about that a lot, empathy. It's showing them, I, I, I value you. You are important to me. Mm-hmm. See, we don't, we don't talk enough about valuing our customer. We want to do all this customer appreciation crap. There's a vast difference between appreciation and value. If mm-hmm. I value someone, they're going to know from, from my heart to theirs what specifically, what intentionally I value about them and their relationship and their business with me. But we've got to get our arms around customers and see what they see to know how we can help them. And there may be times when we go, I can't help you. How many salespeople will walk away from something knowing that the story you mentioned, I love that story you opened up with. After three months, you terminated the deal with the customer because can't help you anymore. Yep. What was a win initially? I can't help you now. Yep. Because I'm not going to put my I'm not going to put my professional reputation and I'm not going to jeopardize the things that I believe in to continue a relationship that's not good for either one of us. And I, I love your analogy. If I had put my arm around that prospect's shoulders and been looking at the world from the same perspective as him, if I had really understood what he needed, as opposed to trying to just convince him that he needed what I was selling. Yeah. Tom, would you love to go back to 30-year-old you? Wouldn't you like to go back and coach 30-year-old you? (laughs) I was, I was, when, when I won my, when I won salesman of the year in 2001, It was 2002 when we got the award. I was 29 years old. I'll be 50 next month. I would love to go back and coach 29-year-old Brian. Mm -hmm. I would love to go back and say, man, you don't know what you don't know. Yep. I would love to go back and coach me because, Tom, the beautiful thing about it is, and I love where our conversation is going, and I, I, I so love where you're taking it because it's the prism of experience, mm-hmm. and it's that lens of being able to look back at times in our life where we missed the mark in helping people, where we weren't intentional when we should have been, when, right. we, when we weren't direct and targeted, when we were emotional instead of tactical. Mm-hmm. And and I love where you're taking our conversation today, and it's really powerfully important to understand that everything that you do in life should build on what you've done and take something from it. You don't go through anything in life that you shouldn't learn a lesson from. Right. And I love where – and, and I just had to, to stop in this moment and thank you for that because I wish I could go back to 30-year-old me. Yeah. And play this conversation and go, hey, if you really want to, you really want to do some great things in life, you might want to, might want to listen to this conversation. Well, the good news is that 
the good news is that the 20 somethings and 30 somethings who are listening to this are getting this way earlier than we did. So, oh my goodness. Can you imagine? You ever thought about, Tom, you ever thought about what, what a difference could have been made in art? You think about selling when we were coming up in selling and you had tapes and you had books and things like that. What if you were able now? See, the tapes and books and things like that, your company had to buy them or you had to buy them. Now we've got all of this mm-hmm. great, great stuff that you can just tap into. And a lot of these great people that are that are out there doing amazing things, friends of yours and mine. And, and, and man, can you imagine what we could have accomplished if we could have tapped into those things years mm-hmm. ago? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So many great resources now. And that that leads me back to a question yeah. I wanted to ask. You talked about getting started in the 90s, 95, I think you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and how much has changed since then? So what do you think the greatest changes, the most monumental changes in sales and marketing have been from 1995 to now? That's easy. The information the customer has at their fingertips. Mm-hmm. It used to be the salesperson that was the expert on product and service right. and all of these different things. And so when the salesperson walked into the account, and, and, and again, I, I cut my teeth in the B2B world. Mm-hmm. So, so when I walked in, <laughs> and, and being in the food business, when I walked in, I knew all the technical things about the product already. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was just... Hey, here's a new item. Here's what you can do with it. Here's the specs on it. Here's how to prepare it. Blah, 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 blah. Now, the customer already knows and they already have the product in mind mm-hmm. that they want from what they've read, from what they've researched, from things like that. And so now the salesperson really has to lead the prospect to the ease of doing business. Mm-hmm. And people are not going to do business with people that are hard to do business with. Right. Because there's so many avenues out there that they can get product. I mean, Tom, we, we were talking about it a little bit ago. You can buy product right here mm-hmm. on your phone. I can book an airline ticket on my phone. I can buy something on my phone. And tomorrow we can show up at my front porch mm-hmm. from my phone. And so that's the biggest difference I see is the ease that which people can buy things and the knowledge that they have already. And, 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 and just being able to, to procure things without yeah. the help of a salesperson and things like that. But here's the one thing that they can't replicate. If there's a problem, they got to go on here and they got to chat with somebody and they got to call somebody and things like that. And man, when when I sold you something, and when I sell something now, I own it. I own that process. And so if you're not happy, it's my job to make it right. Yep. And 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 again, it's about taking, you know, that's where salespeople today are going to separate themselves is owning the process. Mm-hmm. If you're not happy with it, I own it. And those that take ownership are going to continue to flourish in this marketplace 
because people are going to get tired of those shirking responsibility for bad transactions. Right. Right. And it begins in the marketing process. It begins the first time that you interact with the prospect. Yeah. Are you human? Are you trustworthy? Are you listening, not talking at me? Are you trying to help me, not trick me? All of those things that uh, begin with the first emails and first social posts begin to build that picture of, is this a relationship that's going to serve me? Or is this just another person out there pitching some product and they're going to say good night and good luck as soon as yeah. the transaction's over? And are you reputable? Are you are you rep? Are you reputable? Are you reputable? Who are you? Exactly. Yeah. Who are you? A person? You know. And and Tom, here's the thing: is that again with social media and things like that, you have to filter through what is said. Mm-hmm. You know, and, 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 and I, for example, when I travel, I will, if I'm in an area where I really don't know the restaurant scene, I may look on Yelp or I may look on Google and I may, you know, but you have to filter through bad experiences. Right. And I believe salespeople need to do the same thing. You, it's like in, it's like in sports. And if you're watching, I'm wearing a Bengals. I'm a diehard. I've been a Cincinnati Bengals fan since I was nine years old. Mm -hmm. You cannot worry about the bad throw that you made. I don't want Joe Burrow sitting back there worrying about the interception he threw in the first quarter. I want to make sure that he throws the pass in the fourth quarter with confidence that wins the game. But we've got sometimes we've got salespeople that remember bad experiences with customers, and it may not have been their fault. Joe Burrow could have thrown that interception because the receiver fell down, or mm -hmm. the guy ran the wrong route, or something happened that was out of his control that led to a negative outcome. But now he's thinking about it. And that's what happens a lot of times with salespeople. Sometimes the transaction going bad is not your fault. You just chose a bad partner to do business with, mm -hmm. or the partner wasn't reputable in doing in holding up their end of the bargain. And so, Tom, I, I think we've got to remind ourselves and, and, and just remind the customer, if you give us an opportunity, buy from me once. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't work out, I, I don't bother you. And I told people that. I said, look. Buy from me one time. If you don't like it, I won't. I, I'll be man enough not to show up at your door again. Mm -hmm. And I'll be man enough to come and I will show up again and I, I will apologize. I will do what I can to make it right. You don't ever have to buy anything from me again. Right. Yep. We've got to get back to being who we say we are, doing what we say we're going to do, and being the people. That's the thing, Tom, and forgive me for going here for a minute, but I have to go here a minute. You have to be who you say you are. Yep. We So many times, people are disappointed and led astray by product because the marketing has to be perfect. Yeah. Well, we have to hit all these different people. Your product may not be right for everybody, and you have to be man or woman enough to admit that your product is not right for everybody. Your yeah. service is not right for everybody. The quicker you can get 
out of your own head and think you got to sell to everybody, the better off you're going to be. But be who you say you are. Do what you say you're going to do. We need more reputable business people in the marketplace. That would change a lot of things about customer perception if businesses just did what they said they were going to do. And what you saw over the door is what you got. Yep. Forgive me for for going for preaching there for just a minute. No, I mean, it's absolutely 100% correct. I have zero patience for the salespeople who approach every prospect with, I have just the ticket for you. I, I, I have a product service. It's just the ticket for you before they've done and made any effort to understand who they're dealing with before well, they Tom, made any Can effort. I ask you a question real quick that's on my mind? I, w- I want to turn the tables just for yeah, a quick absolutely. second. Yeah, yeah. Why does mass marketing not reach the masses? And here's where I'm going with that question. Yeah. It feels like to me that everything that we see on social media or on television is just ad-driven. It's just a a 30-second, I got to get my message out here. I got to blow you away with ads. I I feel like we are so we are so ad-heavy in everything that we we try to consume. You can't yep. you can't get on social media without seeing ads. You can't do anything without. So why have we taken mass marketing why why are we more let me phrase it this way why are we more concerned with quantity over quality i'm so glad you phrased it i'm so glad you phrased it that way because that's how i was going to answer the question i think that one of the great problems with the internet is that it's made it too easy to fall into quantity quantity over quality and the people who do that who who robotically send the mass messages on on LinkedIn direct message or are spamming people millions of emails and, and and so forth they are choosing the quantity over quality and it's sort of analogous to knock on every door and every floor uh, cold call until your throat is raw marketing on steroids it's it's yeah. the internet has enabled you to play this raw numbers game. If I reach enough people, yeah. no matter yeah. how impersonal it is, I'll hit my numbers. And we're talking about something completely yeah. different. Yeah. We're talking about a marketing that's built on one-to-one human personal connection. And it's harder. It takes more time. It doesn't scale the way pressing a button and sending a million mass market messages will scale, but it's better. <laughs> you build better relationships. I just wanted to give you a standing. I wanted you to finish that. I just wanted to give you a standing ovation. That's brilliant, <laughs> Tom. That is so brilliant. You, you in 30 seconds, you taught a master class on marketing. You just taught a master class on marketing, and, and that was brilliant. I wanted to just – I was saying, yeah, because I was just taking it in. That is so good. I can't for the that to me is encouraging. What you just said there is 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 intentional encouragement because mm-hmm. if we do what we've always done, it's the definition of insanity, right? We do what oh, we've yeah. always that that's what we were just talking about it. The insanity of ads. If we do what we've always done, we're gonna get what we've always got and put our name out there and but 
man, you're going to fatigue your customer. Your customer is going to intentionally go somewhere else because they don't have to deal with your ad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that. Uh, the, the good news for everyone who's listening to this is that there's still room in the marketplace to stand out. You know, what, what doesn't stand out is the one who screams the loudest and the most, who sends the most. What stands out is the person who makes those connections, who's intentionally encouraging, who's empathetic, who's connecting, who's building human relationships, uh, because, because it's trending the other way. Yeah. It, it, there's not a person listening to this who's not fed up with, Sorry for the double negative, but everybody listening to this is fed up with the direct messages that are pounding them on LinkedIn with just garbage promotions or the spam emails that are completely impersonal. I wrote an email this morning to my list about a robotic email that I got. They, they admitted in the footer, this was written by artificial intelligence. Well, the thing was incoherent. It wasn't human. It gave me no desire to connect with the person who wrote it. Yeah. The person who wrote it was a, the person who sent it, I guess would be the way to put it. A human made it happen, but a robot wrote the thing and I felt no connection with the sender. Well, I got to say this real quick. When I get cold pitched like that, Tom, I always respond back and I say, I'm curious as to what prompted you to reach out to me. Mm -hmm. And then I follow up and say, the reason I ask this is because I wrote in my book and I practice this. I practice connection before transaction. There it is. And if you're going to want, if, if you want to do something with me down the road, then we need to have connection. Yep. If not, then you know I, you're welcome to connect with me. You're you're welcome to be my connection here. But understand, I want to know what prompted you to reach out first. That because, is a mass. Yeah. Yep, that's a massive idea that that yeah. you just shared. Connection before transaction. Well, if you're taking it, notes out there, yeah. write it down. Connection before transaction. And I got to share this real quick. If you can't share that with your prospect, what prompted you to reach out to them? How in the world are you ever going to sell them? Yep. If, if you just go, well, you're on a prospect list and I have to call on you because my boss is on me. I have to make a hundred calls today and you're yep. one of them. And or you're in no. a database I purchased, or exactly. You know, you know right. when I would call on people year, you know, years ago when I ran a territory, and I've been out of a territory for a few years now. But when I ran a territory, my boss, I had a great sales manager early in my career that told me something. He said, "Always have a reason for stopping by." Mm -hmm. Yep. And I would, I would just tell him, I would say, "Hey, if it was the first time I was meeting that customer, I would say, I just wanted to stop and meet you." That's my reason for stopping by. I just wanted to say hello and meet you. Mm -hmm. I've been by your place two or three times, or I've heard about you in the community. Do you have a couple minutes that I could get to know you a little bit better? Yeah. And we never, you know, most salespeople don't have a reason for, for connection other than it's what I have to do. Well, guess what? Your prospect 
has same the same reasonings too. You might be email number 4,312 that they got that day from all the other competitors that are looking to do business with them. Yep. You may be that person that's going, oh my gosh, I got to stop again because I got another salesperson calling on me. And you can't give them any better reason than you're, than going, well, I, I got to call on you. So I, I, I always had a re I always had a reason for connecting, whether I whether I was prospecting or actively engaged in doing business with that customer. I always had a reason for connect. Always have a reason to connect. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, Brian, you know, I, I feel we like we can't go for two more hours. I, I just I'm just getting started. Uh, there here, it man. is. I was gonna say it feels. Well, listen, like I can't just... wait to have you on the Intentional Encourager podcast. We're gonna make that happen very soon. You're I'm gonna get to see Tom to Ruich on the Intentional Encourager podcast. But Tom, this has been beautiful. Thank you. It's so much. It's been great, and yeah, I I I think we could go for two more hours, but I think our carriage will turn into a pumpkin if we uh, if we go too much longer. And uh, so, uh, Brian, where can people find you? Uh, let's uh, please repeat the book that's already out. Yeah, the book, the book that's coming, the podcast, your website. Where where can people find you and connect? So I have a green screen up. So this probably it's, but <laughs> people buy from people is the book. Um, yeah. Ten powerful people lessons from the ultimate people person. My dad, my dad's incredible impact on my life on sales. My dad was the greatest connector, the greatest salesperson that I ever knew. My hero. I miss him every day, wish he, he were here. But uh, in December of 2020, he published a book about the 10 powerful lessons, connecting lessons he taught me. And so you can go to Amazon and get that that book. It's it's there now. Uh, the Intentional Encourager Becoming the One Thing That that uh, Changes Everything. Uh, that's coming out late 2022. Um, fingers crossed. I, my travel schedule has been hectic, so my writing time has been compressed. But we're shooting for late 2022 to have that book out probably – if everything goes well, I'd like to release it on, on the 10th anniversary of my dad's death. My dad was the original intentional encourager. And so mm. the, the you know, I, I try to do that to honor him and, and, and to release intentionally on those dates. And then you can find me on LinkedIn at Brian Sexton MBA. You can find me on Twitter at Brian Sexton 13. You can find me on Facebook. Just search the Intentional Encourager podcast. You can find the Intentional Encourager podcast on all the platforms the podcast platforms and a YouTube channel where you could actually watch the podcast as well too. So Tom, it's been a, an incredible honor being with you today. And I I've loved every minute of our conversation. Thank you. Same Brian. I'm, I'm grateful for you uh, spending time with us today. I love your wisdom and insight. Can't wait to spend some time with you on your podcast. Thank you so much for being here today and thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll see you next time on the story power marketing show. listening to the Story Power Marketing Show with Tom Ruich. If you liked what you heard today, visit storypowermarketing.com slash resources, where you can sign up for Tom's entertaining, informative, must-read emails, download free business building resources, and discover other opportunities to help you harness the power of storytelling. That's storypowermarketing.com slash resources to help you captivate prospects, inspire them to act, and grow your business with greater ease and joy. Also, please remember to subscribe to the Story Power Marketing Show with Tom Ruich 
and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.